Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hadge Assad, and with me, as always, is my good friend and fellow automotive journalist, Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. If you'll notice, Sammy found that intro perhaps a little funnier than the 275 other times he's he's said it. So I'm glad that in the spirit of this podcast, he can still find new things to enjoy. I try to find something fun every... I, and hopefully our listeners find something fun in each episode that we do. I hope so. Uh, I don't know about last it's, week's episode. It's definitely but. not a nihilist <laughs> podcast. Um. As you can hear, Ben and I, we have a pretty good rapport. I would say that we're friends. Um, I would say that. I'm not, I'm not disputing that statement. Okay, good. Ben, why don't you tell people uh, where they can find your work? Would, would that suffice for a good introduction to our, our podcast? Sure. You can find my work at Car and Driver, at Motor Trend, at Driving Line, and at Inside Hook. And you can find my work at autotrader.ca, driving.ca, Nuvo Magazine, and... TechSpot, as well as, as well as EV Pulse, although we're not talking about anything electrifi- electrified today. This is an EV-free episode for those of you in our audience who are not into EVs or who think maybe there's been a little too much EV coverage lately. I understand where you're coming from. It is EV safe. We we do we we don't mind it if you like EVs. You can come in. Yeah, it's, no it's fine. But just today there are no EVs on the show. Are you sure? I mean, there aren't any on the schedule. No, there aren't any on the schedule. In fact, I'll start us off on the schedule right now because I just came back from um, the south of France. Again. Again. Um, I was driving these uh, these Rolls-Royce Phantoms. Can you imagine a Phantom fitting in? Uh, it, it must. It, it does not fit in very well in, uh, in little town Europe. Like I think that the whole point of a Phantom or any Rolls-Royce, though, really, is to not fit in. It's to... <laughs> It's That's to be true. the most ostentatious, but not over-the-top ostentatious vehicle that is in whatever parking lot or street or harbor or yacht parking zone that you're in. Are you sure about that? Are you sure about not over-the-top? Because I've yes. seen these these tuning companies like Mansory. Yeah, but and, we're not, and, I'm not. I'm not talking about like people who buy a Rolls Royce and then do whatever with it. I'm talking about. Oh yeah. If you look at the Parthenon, Parthenon, the pantheon of over-the-top cars. I mean, at the top, you kind of have, like, one-off stuff like uh, Lamborghini Ventenno or whatever that was called. You know the cars they build for their anniversary and they build, like, two and they cost five... Lamborghini Venmo, right? (laughs) Yeah, the Lamborghini Venmo. (laughs) Um, And then you have Koenigsegg and then you have the the, the Bugattis. Those are are absurdly over-the-top. But then you have the lesser over-the-top stuff, like a regular Lamborghini. And then you have... (laughs) You have Rolls-Royce, which is over the top in the sense that it's a very imposing car. Yeah. Sorry, ostentatious in that it's an imposing car, but I don't think it's over the top in that you don't look at it and think, wow, this thing is just for someone who wants attention. Like, I don't think that's the only reason you have a Rolls. I don't know. I've been in a couple nowadays, uh, pretty recently as well, and I think they're really making a push to younger car buyers – uh, and trying to to put their name out in, in newer circles, I guess. <laughs> They're after that circles. NFT and crypto money, I guess. I really think they are, 100%. <laughs> um, and I will say the Phantom, I mean, it sits at the top of the uh, of the list. It, it Everything that happens on a Phantom um, is a bit different than what happens to a Ghost or a Cullinan, which are their other two, two products. And they kept telling me about the Wraith and Dawn, which are their coupes. And uh, how those are no longer uh, being sold unless you want to buy them. Believe it or not, Rolls-Royce has a certified pre-owned program. And that's how you would buy a Don and Wraith right now, which they kept telling me all about. And I, I, I was trying to be 
uh, interested in. Or, but or I, you, I could buy, you could buy a Dawn and Wraith from an NFT or a crypto bro right now because I'm pretty sure they're going to have trouble making those payments. Yeah, that's right. So let me tell you about this Rolls Royce Phantom. This is the eighth generation of Phantom. Wait, what? Um, yeah. So that means – is how far back does the Phantom go exactly? Like that particular name. It goes very far back. You, you really want to know this? Let me see. I just – I mean off the top I, – I need a decade. I don't need the exact year. 1925. Okay. Because I know – when I think older Royce, I think like ro- older Rolls Royce. I think Silver Seraph or you know mm-hmm. cars like that. I, I don't necessarily think Phantom and I don't know why that – maybe that's just me. I don't know what to tell you. Ph- Phantoms go back a long time. Okay. Um, and they call this one in particular, this, this latest version of it, the Series 2 of the Rolls-Royce Phantom 8, okay? <laughs> are you following, are you following along here? I, you know, you know I'm, I'll allow it. I mean, it, it, it sounds like lineage, right? Like when yes. you say, when, 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 when you meet my first son, uh, Sammy the second. Well, that's the thing. Uh, in, in Europe, if you're nobility, you don't say junior. <laughs> it's not like <laughs> yeah, Rolls Royce exactly. Phantom Junior, Junior Junior. <laughs> Yes, it's, it's you right. know the second, the third, the deuce. I guess is also an acceptable nickname. <laughs> the deuce. Yes. So this is essentially it. This is Rolls Royce Phantom Eight, um, the deuce. So what they've done recently is they've made a couple of um, very small changes to the to the vehicle. They've added a sort of um, they've added some small touches. You know, Rolls Royces are really known for this um, starlight headliner that they have on the inside of the vehicle. They've added some sort of star motif to the headlights just underneath like the lighting element of it so when you look inside that um light enclosure you'll see a bunch of these uh these speckled lights in there which is very attractive in in certain situations but you have to get up close to see this it's it's a very funny thing to see um from a distance they've also made these two new wheels um that are available for buyers including this massive i think it's 20 22 inch um wheel design uh, it's a giant disc, essentially, just a massive, like a monoblock kind of AMG style wheel. Huge or? disc, it, and, and it covers so much of the wheel that when it's in motion, and because the the center cap is uh, is sort of like weighted, so it doesn't um, it doesn't rotate. Um, it looks like the car is like really floating or gliding. Now they told me th- making this thing, it was a process. This disc wheel in particular, you're gonna love this story. I think. <laughs> It took them five years to make this massive disc wheel, okay? And they made a, um, a polished version and a black version for. Wait, why for did it, did they tell you why it took five years? Wait, yeah. I, question: Were they building them by hand? Are the wheels made by hand? <laughs> no, no. Okay. And they have they so they they they're not like just flat because uh, like stuck to the to the rim because apparently these brakes need cooling. Apparently. Trying to stop something this big. Um, I'm assuming a it's a of... six thousand pound vehicle. <laughs> yeah, it's something ridiculous like yeah, that. Yeah, I think the last the last Rolls Royce I drove was in that neighborhood. And uh, they, so they they actually have like I think twenty one slats like openings on the back of it to to allow it to properly vent air. Also, the the design of the disc has to be good for uh, the coefficient of drag as well as the the venting purposes of the 
uh, of the wheels. Do, and do then, you, do you ever yeah. think that they just have like one wheel guy? And and <laughs> I think Rolls Royce maybe has one wheel guy. And, and yeah. they and they say, okay, here's a list of things we want you to build. Take your time. And then when it's finally done, they can be. Well, this wheel took five years to make, and it's not, it's not for any real reason. It's because the guy, the wheel guy, was also making like four other wheels at the same time. Well, they say it's all it's all made out of like one piece and and uh one of the 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 head designer his name was felix he was like insistent that we like knock on it with our knuckles to hear just how how you know solid this this wheel this disc something every rolls royce owner is encouraged to do in the showroom yeah it's very i mean you wouldn't kick a tire but nick but like knock on the on the on the wheels, by yeah, many man. gold and platinum rings. <laughs> yes, um, and then they described that they had to like uh, get so much validation done that uh, because Rolls Royce is a is a a part of the BMW group, they go to this you know the BMW validation people and they're like, okay, test this, and he would find all sorts of ways to break these very expensive wheels. Basically, that's saying, why it like, took five years. Yeah, basically every two that, months, BMWs yeah. getting out the big wheel hammer. Yes. Um, they described like one scenario where it was struggling, for example, um, that if you had lost traction on the wheel, uh, on the car, like, for example, you started uh, skidding it on, on some ice or snow and then went over like a series of, of railroad tracks, oh, that man. could crack, that could crack the wheel. Every day and, on the way to work. I know. <laughs> I'm like, do you think Dor- that validation guy just sits at night like just Dorifto into the railroad tracks? Rolls Royce's number one concern. Right now, the the thing is, like this car is essentially the same as it's uh, like like uh, mechanically speaking, it's about the same as it's ever been. Uh, it uses this massive V12 engine. It's a six point. They pointed it out to me, six point seven five liter twin turbo V12. That makes uh, 563 horsepower and 654 pound-feet of torque. But that's, that's the same. That's the same engine they've had for quite a while. Yeah, this is the same thing as always. They keep using this thing. It power. It, it's powered by a um, an eight-speed an eight-speed automatic transmission. It sends power to the rear wheels. It does zero to sixty in 5.3 seconds, which is fast for a vehicle this big. It's insane. Um, it's absolutely it, crazy for a vehicle it, that size. It never feels particularly fast. Because it's just all the noise is so insulated, you don't really hear exhaust note um, or, or road noise or or wind noise. It's just you're moving. Like that's all it feels like. It's weird. Um, and then the the other elements that are important to talk about this vehicle customization. I know you said um, like ostentatious. What I'm trying to describe customization and personalization of these vehicles. It's not meant to be to be ostentatious. I think they want their owners to express themselves and their life story if if they want to in the cabin of the vehicle. So what they did is they show they shown us a bunch of uh really personalized examples. They put like embroidery in the headliner um or, or d- wood from a very particular part of the world like this Hawaiian koa wood I'm glad, um, I'm glad they're exploiting Hawaiian wood <laughs> yeah that's like a weird ecological line to tread right like the exoticism <laughs> of wood that comes from somewhere that's far from England but is home to somebody else whose wood you're taking <laughs> so you're saying you don't want them to colonize the uh to colonize the forests of other of other nations well it's here. a tricky it's a sticky wicket right like yeah so i've um, seen this list you sent me this no no but then then 
for our event, they had a list of they had ten totally customized vehicles uh, with all sorts of like personal. Like they tried to to invoke certain personalities on them um, to, to sort of get you in the mindset of who this car is for. So I'll, I'll run through a couple of them, and you can tell me which of the of the names kind of stood out to you. So they started off with the mundane, which is like uh, I think in, in reference to reference to the. To the watch, I think. I have then, no idea, but I mean, that's a that's an unusual pronunciation to associate with a Rolls Royce, right? Like, yes, yeah. Uh, and then they have the Patriot, which uh, I think all of our American our American listeners sort of like their ears perked up. But this is more to be this is more uh, aligned with a with a British Patriot. Well, that's odd because I'm looking at a picture of the Patriot and. There's no Union Jack anywhere on this car. It's just like no, there board. is. There's a tiny little. Where, oh, I see it. So it's okay for those. Yes. This podcasting is not a visual medium, but this is like a burnt orange red car, mono, yep. monochrome, and on the I guess the the fly the the D pillar, the flying pillar at the back. Yeah. There's like a little wavy kind of Union Jack embossed into it, and I guess that makes it. Patriotic. The dash is also horrendous. It's like a <laughs> the dash is psychedelic. Yeah, it's like, like a, it looks it's, like a tie dye kind of thing happening there yeah so it, okay and then what's the next one i've got the founder how would you, what do you think <laughs> about that one um uh it's a i mean controversial yep and then there's the maverick which that's is the one we drove that's the one i was i found myself so what made in. the maverick so special the maverick had a very unique paint finish it was two-tone first of all so they had black on the center and uh, like the hood and the and the roof and the trunk. And then the exterior color um, around that is this kind of like, it's hard to describe. It was kind of like a, a bluish gray. Um, and it looked really striking. But the cabin of the vehicle was uh, was done up in this, what they called peony pink. Oh, yeah. Um, really, really vibrant interior. And they even had a little accent line running um, alongside the, the exterior of the vehicle that that was also done in this color. They think that this color, in particular, this peony pink, will be very um, popular uh, for the next generation of, of Rolls-Royce um, uh, Phantom. And probably even on the Ghost as well. What's odd about these... These So, I mean... I also want to point out, actually, on that Maverick, you yeah. might notice the the Spirit of Ecstasy on that um, is, not, uh, is not the usual finish. It's like a darker finish. Which is something that we've seen only previously in black badge examples, and you'll notice other versions, other vehicles in the uh, in that they've designed for us also have uh, customized kind of uh, like very lightly customized spirit of ecstasy. So that's the badge on the just above the the grill that like duck, tucks away when you lock the car or these, when it gets into an accident. But like so that. many of these things are really only what other Rolls-Royce Phantom owners would notice, right? Like, yeah. looking through the, the list, the names themselves are funny. There's also the Iconoclast, the Prodigy. Which is all, with the Iconoclast is like blacked out everywhere. Like, it's this really, like, imposing vehicle, right? Then there's the, the sen- Sentimentalist, the Extrovert, the Aristocrat, and the Connoisseur. Now, some of these yes. words are kind of synonyms for each other. Yes. A lot of this is pulling from the same thing, but it's just funny because I like what I like about this is that I think it's clear that a huge portion of Rolls Royce owners they order exactly what they want. Yeah, they don't care about and resale. That's exactly what they told us. It doesn't matter. Yeah. So, like for, for Rolls to acknowledge that and to kind of put these out into a program is cool. I just think it's funny to associate them with um, ideologies, which is I think what a yeah. lot of these these names are suggestive of. I mean, certainly words like patriot. Prodigy and aristocrat are ideologies, you know. Yes, like I, I agree, one hundred percent. 
Um, but I, I just, I, I did keep thinking of the ways, um, because basically every element of this cabin can be touched up and in such a way, not touched up, personalized in such an authentic, thorough way. It's not like you are compromising when you say, I want it to be the same color as my shoes, for example, if you have, I don't know, or, or I try to think of something that's really personalized, um, like my engagement ring or something. I, I want it to be the exact same color. That's a deep down, cut. To the, down to the tarnish uh, that 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 exposes how long I've had it, or something like that. And they could go in there and they can say, "Yeah, we've done it exact. We've done it justice." It's Honestly, I just want it to match my helicopter's blades. Is that <laughs> yeah, too much exactly. to ask? They are. It's a color, uh, Sammy, that you might have heard of called uh, was it peony pink? <laughs> peony pink. Peony of pink. Course. Yeah. See, yeah. that's that's what my helicopter blades are. And as long as my Rolls Royce somewhere matches that. I'm completely cool. So, did you enjoy driving these guys? I, I, there's something I wanted to ask. You mentioned that, mm-hmm. you know, the upgrades that were made to this year of the vehicle, this, the Deuce, is really, you felt that they were subtle. They're subtle. They're very subtle. Uh, I think they're trying to do what they can to keep the Phantom um, relevant in their shoppers, in their buyers' minds. Um, and by doing that, I mean, They've had some pretty re- recent refreshes. The Ghost had a new generation last year. The Cullinan is somewhat new. And I think the Phantom is sitting back while all these other vehicles in their, in their lineup are getting these upgrades. And the Phantom looks is start, was starting to look a little old. And it's not particularly an old vehicle. I mean, it, it's, it doesn't feel like an old... I mean, I don't know. It doesn't feel like it's outdated. Well, what um, I wanted to ask you was, do you think that part of the reason why a company like Rolls-Royce does not do a huge sweeping update to the Phantom is because if they make those kinds of big changes, people who bought the car last year or the year before might be a little bit irritated. Yeah, that's a great point. I'm not sure. Because I, it's such a narrow, it's such a, a shallow ownership base, right? Like they make very few cars. Customers are well known to the company. I'm sure there's a yeah. lot of repeat buying. And I think you kind of have to be sensitive to uh, previous customers. I- I'm sure that no one is ever surprised by an update to the Phantom, right? It's got to yeah, be something that's, that's planned right. out and they talk to their customers and are like, okay, four years from now, this is roughly what we have in mind kind of deal. I think you're right uh, on that element, in which case they really do know their customers. In, in fact, the designers say they talk, and I mean the, the designers at Rolls-Royce who are working on the new electric Spectre, who have worked on the Ghost, who have worked on the Colony, say they know some of these Phantom um, owners on like a first name basis who can... Uh, video chat with them and ask them if they, you know, what, how certain um, upgrades or, or designs are going on their personal vehicle at Goodwood, which is pretty impressive, I think, for a ve- for a vehicle for an automaker to have that kind of uh, connective that connectedness to your customer. Um, but I think you might be onto something in terms of uh, upsetting their customers. On the other hand, I think some of these customers are just so happy to have something like this, and I also think they're so wealthy that they could just buy another one if they really wanted to. I guess that's a good point, too. I mean, Emerald's Rice is never your these only. Are like It's never yacht, your only car. <laughs> these are like yacht owner kind of buyers. Like, they seem like money really means nothing to them. In, in which case, like, what I mean to say is a car that retails at uh, around, let's say, under 600000 between five or 600000 these people will easily spend over an, an additional $100,000 on customizing their vehicle. That That kind of money just seems unfathomable. Like, it really doesn't make... that. It seems insane, right? I mean, to us, yes. To us, yes. To I think to a vast majority of people and listeners, right? 
But I mean, I keep thinking there is a bit of a power fantasy to driving these things and and seeing the cabins being so um, so colorful or so customizable. Even the dash can be changed or the the carpet colors or if there's a stripe on the exterior of the vehicle. So I'm asking you, is there something in your life, a story that you would tell, um, where you would use that as inspiration for your for your cabin, and I, I mean, mean, maybe that's I, personal, and you don't want to get absolutely that close to our listeners, no, but. absolutely no part of my life leads me to driving a, a Rolls Royce. Of course just, not. There's nothing I mean, about I can this car using that the, links to me. See, we can use the wood paneling on your on your grand on your Grand Wagoneer. That would be perfect for the dash, right? No, they'd have to do the whole hood. <laughs> yes, perfect. See, why not? You can um, do that. But no, it's like there's not there's nothing here for me. Like it's not this, this doesn't speak to me in any way, and that's fine. I'm not the customer, and I never will be. Sure. Um, and I, it's not to disparage the cars, but it's not. I don't look at. It's it's odd because I don't look at vehicles as a way to express certain parts of my life. Yeah. I feel like a vehicle is a part of. It definitely reflects my personality, but the vehicle itself, not things I've done to the vehicle necessarily. Well, and that's so what that's what they're trying to say is that the Phantom is so customizable that it becomes a one of one essentially, right? I There's mean, something that you will do to this vehicle that makes it so unlike every other one. I suppose, but then it's like you know, it's it, when you go to a car show and there's some guy there with like a V6 Mustang from like 2014, and it was the only one ordered with like a spoiler delete and this type of wheel cover and a green. That's one of one, yeah. And like a and like a green interior or something. You know, it's, it's always like that. The guy has like the Marty report that shows that it's the only car that was like that. So that doesn't mean so much to me either. It's I I don't know. I get it. I get this cut. I get this audience. I guess I have trouble relating to the audience for this car. Um, uh, of course, I think that's the point. I, I, we really don't know this. I mean, I look at, I look at all of these versions. I'm looking at them right now. I look at all of these phantoms and to me, they're just phantoms. Like I don't see, I don't see when I look at the iconoclast next to the sentimentalist, I'm not like, oh wow. Yeah. I can see that difference. All I see are some different colors and some different details. It's still a phantom to me. There's no statement being made. And I think that being able to sell people on the statement being made is an impressive feat. That's true. That's a great way to put it. I think seeing them in person and seeing those differences um, makes it makes uh, an impact. But but not being in the presence of it or feeling it, there's something there's a gravity to these vehicles, and it's not like I don't know how to how to express that without sounding crazy. But wherever you go and you park these things, people show up like they just start, they yes. just gather around them. But that itself is a function of marketing. Yeah, I mean, all luxury brands are marketing, and Rolls-Royce has done an exceptional job of making sure they're at the top of that pile. And kudos to them for doing that. But it, it's, it's, it's an entirely a fabrication that people have to buy into. Of course. Regardless yeah. of how good the car is. I mean, these are very good cars. But there are some very terrible high-end luxury cars that have the same kind of prestige. And what do you think, Which ones do you think are, are on that? I on mean, that if, scale. You, if you think about the past, not on the scale of Rolls Royce necessarily. I even think if you looked at those Maybachs, you would have you would have a little bit of a you could have regret having one of those. I think a Maybach is a great example of the opposite to the Rolls Royce, where Mercedes tried really hard to create the image yeah. that Rolls Royce had with the Maybach, and they were exactly. un- sorry that Rolls Royce had, and and they were unable to achieve that with the Maybach because it was meaningless. They yep. didn't. 
Rolls Royce it was has, manufactured. It was so for sure. And Rolls yeah. Royce is manufactured too, but it's been manufactured over a hundred years, which is a different yes. kind of thing. You, you're more embedded in the culture that you're trying to speak to. You have heritage you can pull from. Mercedes Benz with the Maybach, there was heritage there, but there was no continuation. It was like a long time ago, someone made these cars, and then no one made them for like eighty years, and now we're bringing them back, and they don't mean anything. Yeah. And, and 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 obviously, no car means anything anyway. But from a marketing perspective, I think they kind of shot themselves in the foot with that because they already had a car in the S class that was yeah it excellent, had ton, it was, but it, it was had like a like a benchmark. It had a lot of brand equity. Yes, and they threw that away. Now then, that makes me want to ask you about the other products in the Rolls Royce lineup. Is the Ghost does the Ghost make the same impact? Does the Cullinan make the same impact? And we can ask that same question about the Bentleys, the Continentals, uh, and the and the what's the name of their SUV, Bentayga. Um, do those have this, uh, to me, I think there might be something about the, the, there's a gravity to the phantom across, above the other things. Yeah. I think, the Cullinan, I, think you, yeah. I think, I think the Cullinan makes an impact because it's so physically imposing, mm-hmm. but I don't think it's particularly elegant. If you saw Cullinan and you saw a G-Class, well, I, you're, I'm talking to the wrong person. Really. I mean, neither of those vehicles yeah. are elegant looking. <laughs> yeah, really- I know. But if you saw one, which one would you gravitate towards? And I know you would say I would turn, I would make a 180 degree turn. <laughs> like, I mean, no, I would, I would definitely take a G class over a Cullinan because, again, um, and this is kind of what we were just talking about. Yeah. The G class has history, and, and the, the history doesn't. beyond luxury too, right? Like sure. The G class has this bona fide kind of. Um, Heritage, I guess. Although it's right? strayed very far from that with the current generation. <laughs> very much so. It's not really like the older, even just a few years ago, it was one that was still basically the same in a lot of ways, bones-wise. But uh, yeah, the Cullinan is it's just, it's, it's and the Bentega, um, these are Me Too products that were yep. built for a market. Uh, if, if SUVs weren't popular, they would not exist. And I think that's an, int- I think that, Sedans right now are not popular, yet the mm-hmm. Ghost and the Phantom, sorry, not the Ghost, but the Phantom does still exist. So yep. to me, that shows the core principles at Rolls-Royce are situated with the, the Phantom, not the Cullinan. Ben, the size of this Phantom is SUV-esque. Like, it, 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 I think the wheelbase is like something between a Tahoe and a Suburban. Like, it's huge. It doesn't surprise me. It is massive, massive, massive. It is so big. Um, and that makes driving it in Europe particularly challenging. Um, they kept warning us about uh, speeding. Carjacking? <laughs> no, they kept warning us about speeding. And I don't, I don't think any driver on our program could really speed with confidence uh, or pick up any kind of pace with confidence just knowing how close, you know, cliffs are when you're driving something this big or or – uh, barriers or, you know, this thing really barely fit on, on a two-way road. It just, it took over. That's um, the whole idea, right? And even when there, there are a couple of switchbacks that we had to, to navigate around, and this thing has four-wheel steering, sure, but doesn't change the reality that this thing takes up the entire road. Such an, it was such a unique approach to, to having us in these vehicles. So much so that when we were driven in them, you could really appreciate, uh, just how, how, relaxed you can be uh, as opposed to being at, in in the driver uh in the driver's seat so what's your bottom line on the on the phantom man it's awesome like if i could truly if i could have one i would if i could customize it i would i would have so many which one stories. would you pick from this list oh man the maverick it it, it touched me on the, in, the, in the right way like that cat that bright purple pink cabin that's all over i'm all over it i all think right. that's so cool 
Um, but we were talking about cars that, that have heritage. And I think the vehicle you've been driving has heritage and hasn't strayed so far away from that heritage in any um, worrying way, has it? Well, so we're going to go from talking about yachts to talking about dinghies. Yeah. Um, I spent a week in the 2022 Mazda MX-5 Miata. And uh, it's the. And I would tell you right now, I would have rather spent my time driving in a week <laughs> driving. If I could drive on those roads with an MX-5, I'd love it. Come on. And it's the traditional Miata too. It's not the RF with the the retractable hardtop. It's the soft top, which is the one you want to get. Uh, it is so. I, I don't want to talk about this too much because we talked about the Miata on the show in the past. But the Miata hits a core with all enthusiasts. It it does exactly what an enthusiast wants it to be. It is lightweight. It's rear wheel drive. It's a drop top, it's distilled. It's, in, it's automotive enthusiasm distilled. I think in some Please ways... talk to me about this as much as possible. I think it is in some ways an enthusiast distillation, but two of the things that you mentioned... Well, one of the things that you mentioned, being a, a convertible, there are a surprising number of people who don't want convertibles. Um, they find them to be troublesome on a racetrack just in terms of meeting safety regulations. They find them to be loud and annoying, uh, and they they just don't want them. I, I am personally a convertible fan, so I'm not in that crowd. But the other thing about the Miata that kind of keeps it out of the enthusiast conversation for some people is the power. This is a vehicle that comes with a 2-liter 4-cylinder engine that makes 181 horsepower and 151 pound-feet of torque. Now, just a couple weeks ago, we were talking about the GR86 and how that, I think, now has 200, was it 226 horsepower or something like that? Yeah. So, it and uh, 180 pound-feet of torque, I believe. So, and the whole thing about that car was, oh man, that's not a lot of power. And now we're in a Miata, which has considerably less power than that, almost 25% less power. And uh, it's it's... It's interesting that we're in a world where the Miata is the only vehicle out there that is relying entirely on being lightweight and has ignored, like the GR86, has ignored turbocharging, it's ignored supercharging, it's ignored larger displacement engines. Uh, the Miata's had a two-liter engine for 15 years now, I believe. Yeah. So it's in some ways a throwback, and even more so, you look at the curb weight, it weighs very much what the original Miata weighed in the early 90s is something like 2,300 or 2,400 pounds, which is un- unbelievable. It's 400 man. pounds lighter than the GR86. That makes a huge difference. That's a huge difference. It, it really it really is. Uh, and you Now, feel- I mean, I know the 86 has rear seats and like a usable <laughs> trunk, I guess, but... <laughs> I like the air quotes I can picture around all of us. <laughs> I know. But yeah, it's... um, The, the Miata really is... If, if not the distillation of auto enthusiasm, it is very much a pure vehicle. The only aspect of the car that kind of strays from that formula is the steering. It's got electric power steering. When it first came out, when, when this generation Miata first came out, I really did not like the steering tune. It felt dead to me after I had owned a, a manual steering Miata back in the, uh, it was a 95 model. I had it in the late 2000s. And uh, also there was a good hydraulic steering in the NC generation, the one that preceded yeah. this. So it really I doesn't get enough love. Out of all the generations, people say the NC was kind of like a dud. And I thought, I thought it was actually okay. It's really good. It's a great... It's a great tiny bit heavier car. than the other ones. Yeah, but it's a great overlooked modern modern Miata. To me, yeah. you get you get the NA or you get the NC. Those are the ones I like. But 
going back to the ND, which is the current generation. But you think the steer, you, you were talking about the steering in yeah. particular of the so ND. The, I didn't notice it as much this time. And I think that's because I don't get to drive hydraulic racks anymore in new cars. Mm-hmm. Uh, two of my cars have a hydraulic, I guess three of them. I mean, the Jeep steering is, it's a whole, hilarious <laughs> situation there with the solid front axle, but I have a manual steering car as a sports car and I have two other um, sporty vehicles, sporty-ish vehicles that have hydraulic steering. Uh, my Cadillac's hydraulic steering is very good, but it's also a very large car or a mm-hmm. larger car. So I, there's no real direct comparators anymore to the Miata. I certainly can't compare it to my dad's. There's no comparison to manual steering. It's just a very different experience. I'm not going to yeah. say it's better or worse, but it is quite different. Yeah. Um, in any case, uh, this time I didn't notice it as much. And I took this car on a road trip that had a long highway stretch and also had a whole bunch of two lane fun stuff to do. So I got both sides, um, top up, top down. I used to be the kind of person who drove the top down all the time, regardless. I hated you for this because you'd always make me feel like a, like uh, a chump for driving with the roof up. But now I I, I'm so much, I'm so old now and my skin, <laughs> I'm a redhead. I mean, uh, sorry if that disgusts anyone who's listening, but uh, I'm, I'm very fair skinned and the sun does not agree with me. So it was an extremely sunny day and I could not justify having the top down for that whole period. I would have probably been podcasting from the afterlife or a hospital bed if I had made that decision. But, um, as a road trip car, it was pretty good. It was actually quieter than the GR86 on wow. the same road at that's the same brutal. speed. I know. And, and that's, I think, top up and top down. Um, yep. if you have the windows up with the top down, it's generally pretty quiet. There's not a lot of tire, tire noise. You get a little bit of reverberation from the rear of the car um, with the top up. There's kind of like a cavity behind your head where you get some sound waves. But um, it, interestingly enough, I was able to hit fit the cylinder head for my Datsun in the trunk of the, the Miata. So it's semi-practical. It was perfect. It was a perfect fit. And it was a perfect you fit. Didn't have to, you didn't have to, you know, do anything. No, I didn't do anything. Okay, I didn't cut good. any holes. Yeah. <laughs> but. Uh, and it was reasonably fuel efficient too, which is nice given the current price of gas. Um, all in all, it's, it's an extremely fun car. It's just fun to drive. And one of the things I liked the most about it was a couple of years ago, they raised the red line on this motor to 7,500 yeah. RPM, gave yeah. it a little bit more power, but more importantly, it, it made the car more engaging. And you can run this car up to red line in the first three gears and still probably be under the speed limit. Mm-hmm. Which means you can have a blast in it, and no one else knows you're having a blast. Everyone just sees someone driving normally. It, it does 60 probably the roughly the same amount of time as the GR86, like just under six seconds. Yeah. Uh, but no, I think that I think actually the Miata might be. Oh right, the the new 86. Okay, yeah, yeah, sure. New 86. Sorry. Uh, but you're not because the old the ND. Two, whatever you want to call it, the refresh was faster than an an eighty six before for okay. sure. But it's it's really not a straight line car. It's just a car that's enjoyable in a wide range of circumstances. It's a car that's enjoyable to just have fun with. You really feel like you're part of the car while you're driving. It's you're, you're immersed in the experience, especially with the top down. It's a car that goads you into driving quicker, to having more fun, to taking the longer route home. All those great cliches they really do apply to this vehicle. And oh. There's, there's you and your cliche master over here. There's nothing else like this on the market. I don't know how much longer we're going to have a gas-powered Miata. Um, okay. There's all sorts of rumors that the next version is going to be electrified, which will certainly add weight, or it's going to be EV completely, which will add even more weight. So if if you which will change the dynamics of the vehicle completely, yeah, right? it'll, like it'll it will, remove everything about it. That they yeah. will have to work so hard to even make it feel 
Well, fifty percent of what it currently. The thing is, Mazda is making a push, and so surprise, surprise, Mazda is trying to change its identity again. And yeah. the company has not had a lot of luck in terms of differentiating itself from other Japanese automakers. They're mm-hmm. currently undergoing a push into the upper reaches of, I guess you would call it the premium or near premium world. They have a yep. new a new platform that's coming up for crossovers. And before you know, don't tune me out here. But uh, they're going to make a CX-7 and a CX-9 that are rear-wheel drive with a longitudinally mounted inline six-cylinder engine. This and sounds insane. This the, sounds insane <laughs> for a small car company like Mazda to do. Yeah, it's, right? it's a pretty big Without roll help of the dice. Somebody else. It's a pretty big roll of the dice. Uh, so what I – well, they do have help from Toyota in other areas, right? So they, they, they are making – Yeah, so the CX-50 – the CX-50 is the first Mazda, I believe, that's being manufactured in North America, and that's happening at a factory that they share with Toyota. As what? far as I know, this is... I, such cool news. I didn't know that. So um, the, it's also Mazda has been saying that, hey, we know it's tough to get cars now, but we're going to do, like I think, 100% of our CX-50 allocation to North America. And since the vehicle is already here, it's going to be easier to get it. So it's kind of a strategic play for them too. But the reason I say all of this is because... If they do move the Miata to some type of electrified platform, I could see them pushing it upscale and making it more of a grand touring car, which could make it eligible for being a pure EV, in which case it would be more expensive. It wouldn't be the same fun-to-drive roadster as it was. It would be something more like the Mercedes SL. I know that's... That's a scary thing to say. It is a, it is a wild thing to say. Let me talk to you about, about this manufacturing thing for a second. Founded in 2018, it is 50% owned uh, by Mazda and Toyota. Each, each, each own a 50% stake in this manufacturing facility in Huntsville, Alabama. That's where we're making some new Mazdas and Toyotas. But that's so interesting to me. And that really, like you mentioned, changes, changes something entirely. The website for it is MazdaToyota.com. Do you think Mazda paid more to put their name in the? At the I was front about of that to say, URL? is there a ToyotaMazda.com out there that we don't know about? <laughs> it's a redirect. <laughs> That's so interesting. Um, I'm really, I'm really curious to see how Mazda incorporates this new personality um, in the future. If they're really going to be pushing upscale. To the vehicle that was its lifeblood, that every enthusiast knows, the, every enthusiast knows the, the Miata. The, they can call it whatever they want, right? MX-5 um, or, or Miata. We know it um, uh, all over the world, really, as a pure basic vehicle. And when you start talking about premium or upscale, you remove the identity a bit from that vehicle, right? For sure. And um, the... Uh... The other thing to, th- to to think about with the with the Miata, I'm trying to regain my train of thought here because you sorry, you, I, I I went on a tangent. You, you kicked off something in in my head, and and I've completely lost it. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. Um, the other thing to think I think about the Mazda is its pricing. It is. Um, oh yeah, in that's, the US, where, that's where yeah. I was going to go. That's where I was going to okay. go. Yeah, it's like twenty eight grand, right? For it's a reasonable price in the U S. Yeah. Uh, in Canada, where we get it, I don't think it's reasonable. No, at all. it's a luxury. So is a luxury model here. So I don't even. That's so dumb. Not even worth talking about the pricing in Canada. But um, there's the model. Model I drove was the Club. This is why I wanted to talk about with pricing. So Club. Yeah, it's it's the Club model, and. It is, Tell me if I can get a club right now. You can. It's sold out. If you go oh, to the Mazda, no. Mazda USA website, maybe if you go to MazdaToyota.com, you can get one. But 
MazdaUSA.com. It says the club is sold out, and that's kind of sad because the club is like a mid-range tier that's more performance-oriented, but it also makes something available called the Brembo, Recaro, and something else O package. It's You get better <laughs> seats, you get better brakes, um, and it looks a little bit more aggressive. But the thing is, if you order a club with that set of options, it's like thirty-seven grand, which is still a fair price for what you're getting. But it, I don't know if it's really $10,000 better than a base Miata. I think the, oh, the, the base Miata is a, a really great deal. I think that's all that you need. Some, yeah. One more thing about the Miata I wanted to mention this year. They added some rear wheel steering in the sense that it has a brake, huh? it has an inside brake on the rear wheel around corners to help it pivot better. Now, this is something mm. that scares me. This is in a vectoring. Car- this is like a torque vectoring. Yeah, it's, it's scary in a vehicle like the Miata, which is known for its purity. I did not notice it at all. It did not feel intrusive, so I, I guess they did a good job, or maybe I'm not as sensitive as other people have suggested I am. Uh, so it, it, Mazda has really resisted the idea of loading up the Miata with technology, which is why I think the base model is still so good compared to the higher models. You're not missing out on anything, really, yeah. with the base model of the car. So Miata... But you, you do have... Now, you personally... Um, and I don't think you're the only one, but I want, I'm going to talk to you because I'm not going to get, bring other, I'm not going to do a, it's not a call-in show where I can talk to other journalists and tell them what they think about it. But the RF is not a basic vehicle. It's not the same mindset as the other MX. No, it's a heavier car with more complexity and blind spots. I mean, it's all three things you do not want in a roadster. So I don't, I don't want to talk about it. It's, it's a car I don't enjoy driving. I understand that it kind of looks good with the top up, but if that's the only reason you're buying a car, maybe just buy a coupe. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You know, buy a GR86 and you'll get, you'll get a, you'll get a better, a better conceived package. I think if you really want a hard top. You know, if you drive them back to back as you did, you'll probably notice that there are some significant differences in the driving style. Huge differences. The MX-5 has this, um, I don't want to call it wobbliness, but there's a, there's roll to it. Um, now there's there's a sharpness. There's a sharpness. As well. Yes, there is. So I want, I want you to talk a little bit about these differences then. Well, I think that the transmission is much better in the Miata. Yeah, direct, right? Like, yeah. especially, and the ratios, I think, are excellent. I think the gearing is very, very well done. Um, I, it, I was always in the right gear, even when I wasn't paying attention. Mm-hmm. And that's not something that's easy to do, uh, in, in a sports car. There was, it, I, there was never a point where I was like, oh man, this feels way too aggressive, the RPMs for, for what I'm doing. It, it, even when I'm cruising around, I, I felt like I was always only ever one gear drop away from the kind mm-hmm. of explosive acceleration I wanted. I mean, I use explosive with an asterisk, right? It's it's a very well-conceived package. Just to sum it up, as a bargain, definitely go for the base model. You should drive a Miata at least once in your life. I yeah. A very long time, before I bought mine, I didn't get it. I was like, oh, it's an underpowered roadster. Why would I be interested in that? And then I drove one, and then two months later, I bought one. So I mean, yeah, I did the same thing with the 86, uh, because here in Canada, as we mentioned, the the MX-5 just wasn't in my price range, but yeah. the 86, the same thing. Like, I don't get it. It can't be that good. And you drive and you're like, I can't, I can't stop thinking about yeah. it. Yeah. So if you're not prepared to buy a car, maybe don't drive it. But if <laughs> that's true, if you, if it's something that you should do just so you can know what the hype's about and understand that the hype really is, really is worth it. And I that's, that's an unusual thing in the automotive world. Yeah, for sure. I can't believe there are so few cars that are like this. I mean, I can because no one buys them. And the, the Miata is such a low-volume seller. Uh, I think Mazda keeps it around because it's a big part of their identity. 
But you talk to enthusiasts, and what they want is a low-cost, fun-to-drive vehicle. In the end, what they really want is a low-cost, fast car. In the, in, think, yeah, in the end, what they really, really want exist, is a but, Mustang. That's what, yeah. that's what they, they've spoken with their dollars, and they want Mustangs and Challengers, and that's totally fine. Every, every rival the Miata has ever had. Uh, whether it's the revived MRS, whether it's the S2000, whether it's the, the Pontiac and the Saturn, uh, roadsters that came out in the, in the 2000s, they have all been killed by the Miata. And, and they did, they just didn't last. If Honda can't make a roadster that people want to buy in large enough numbers for Honda to keep building it, building it, what hope does anyone else have? Yeah. I mean, isn't that the most, now, We've had this discussion before. The current ND was made in, in collaboration with Fiat. I don't know how much say one company had over the platform than the other. And I doubt Fiat would ever take, um, would ever issue direction to Mazda, right? I don't know if that would actually happen. Um, but that was necessary to, to make the two vehicles happen. And nobody else seems to be collaborating other than Toyota and Subaru on their, on their sports cars. I think this is going to be happening more and more if the sports car as a genre is going to survive. There's going to be collaboration. Now, can you imagine other automakers that might be able to team up like this on a vehicle? On a sports car? Yeah. I don't think so. Who would be the right fit? Like, it's it's impossible. Like, Honda has to team up with somebody if they're going to make an S2000 again, I mean, maybe Mazda's going to have to team up with somebody to keep building the Miata. That's true, too. I mean, maybe. they're not doing anything with Fiat anymore, and I don't think Fiat's in any position to do anything anyway. <laughs> yeah. So, so, who knows? What so, it's the Honda Mazda uh, team up. I mean, maybe. I mean, Honda does make small, sporty cars in Japan, so it's yeah. not like they don't have the expertise. That's true. But there's just no market for these cars. People don't buy sports cars, and car companies, they build what people will buy, and I get it. So... Or what they're told to make, i.e. electric cars. I guess so. I mean, there's, it's, a big, it's a big mix between... They buy, they will build what people want to buy it, but people can only buy what's available. So it becomes a vicious circle and it's hard to know where one part of that stops and the other part begins. Like, do people not buy station wagons because they don't want station wagons? Or do people not buy station wagons because they want to buy crossovers? If you look at the market, almost everything is a crossover. There are very few actual wagons. So testing out that formula is very difficult. But I mean, the, I think the biggest issue when crossovers and wagons were being compared was, the all-wheel drive, the availability of all-wheel drive, and the impact it might have on interior uh, space. I don't think so because there, you know, you had lots of Audi and Volvo station wagons that had all-wheel drive. I think every yeah. BMW station wagon had Sorry, all-wheel drive. Reli- for a reliable vehicles with like all-wheel drive and, and maybe, space. but I also think Mazda made an all-wheel drive version of the six wagon for a while too. So really, yeah, nice. I, I believe they did. Uh, the Mazda Speed Six, I think, was all-wheel drive. I'm, don't quote me. But on it wasn't that. a wagon. Yeah, there was a wagon. A Mazda Speed 6 wagon? Something cool. like that. They made some kind of quick wagon. I mean, if anyone out there is listening and can can confirm or deny what shout I'm saying. At your, shout at your radio shout or your, your radio. phone right or now. Or if you want to let us know, you can do that in a in a more technological way um, that will actually work. You can uh, email me, Benjamin, at BenjaminHoney.com. You can get a hold of Sammy on the cesspool that is Twitter. He is at Sammy underscore ha, like you're laughing. Or you can find me on Instagram at Hunting Benjamin, and uh, you can also go to unnamedautomotivepodcast.com. That's not Toyota Mazda unnamedautomotivepodcast.com or Mazda Toyota unnamedautomotivepodcast.com. There is a form there you fill out, you click submit, and it ends up in our inboxes, and we read all of your comments. Absolutely. When you go to our website, too, you can see all of our 200 and 
70, 80 plus episodes. If you really want to, you really want to get deep into the lore of the Unnamed Automotive Podcast, and you can hear all about the the inside jokes and why we love robots, why I love robots, and Ben doesn't. Um, you can do that. It's very easy. You can also subscribe to our podcast using the website or whatever podcast app you use. Just search for us, unnamedautomotivepodcast.com, or Unnamed Automotive Podcast. It's easy. And you can also leave us a review. It gives us feedback, and if there's a particularly funny one, why not? We'll we'll mention it on the on the podcast. Unless it makes us sad. Sometimes it makes us sad. <laughs> I'm kidding. I feel. What happy. are you? What <laughs> are you doing? <laughs> yeah, I know. What are you doing next week, man? What am I doing next week, or what am I driving next week? What are you doing? What are you driving? I'm going to be talking about the uh, the Subaru Forester Wilderness just quickly because I know we've talked about it in the past. But I had a brush with the wild, and I, I feel the need to discuss it. Awesome. And you know what? I'm going to the Montreal Grand Prix or the Canadian Grand Prix. I'm going to watch some F1 again. This is the second time I've ever done it in my life. Um, and it's a short, it's a short break from the last time I did it. Um, and then I'm going to drive, um, a Honda Civic SI, which I'm very excited about because the last time I drove it, it had winter tires. Isn't that weird? It is a little bit weird, but not weird if it was winter. <laughs> well, it was winter. So All right. now it, it's, it's summer and I think it'll have what's more appropriate tires. All right. Well, thank you for listening, everybody. Take care.